Hey, it's Ross Payne with Roleplaying Public Radio. This is RPPR episode 193, Designing Monsters for RPGs, with Greg Stolze and Caleb Stokes. Uh, as, as you might tell, we have two guests here today, uh, uh, long-time uh, RPPR uh, uh, collaborator, uh, Caleb Stokes, and of course, and a, a more recent uh, podcast collaborator, uh, Greg Stolze. Yes, uh, <laughs> good to be here. Yeah, can't wait uh, to be in front of a tribunal and that be my sentence. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, after the revolution, oh, podcast yeah. collaborator <laughs> to the wall. Okay, I was <laughs> trying to put a pass positive spin on it. backwards you know. into hell, you bastards! <laughs> <laughs> Recording this for my Patreon right now. Mm-hmm. Never stop me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let's uh, run a poll. Who wants me <laughs> shot in the heart? Who wants me shot in the head? <laughs> wow, the write-in painful gut shot is get, is is getting more traction than I hoped. <laughs> the revolution will be televised behind a paywall. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, also, Greg, this is a bit unusual to be recording a podcast with you, where it, uh, all of the members of the the podcast are on the same continent. <laughs> um, so that that is nice at least internet connection wise um so uh it'll be novel at least for us uh well you know we all have basically the same accent yeah i'm, <laughs> I'm expecting you to put some banjo music in the background to to, to hype up the americanness of it <laughs> oh yeah we need some ken burns in this uh yeah just <laughs> Just some panning shots of old postcards. Dearest Martha, the podcast wars were uh, brutal today. Uh, many were f- sent as, as collaborators. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, in this episode, we're going to be talking about uh, our various philosophies and approaches to designing monsters for role-playing games. Uh, there's a lot of different ways to do that. Um, and I recently designed a monster. Uh, I uh, ran a scenario with it. Uh, the monster is called the Death Stratton. And uh, for my, uh, before we get in the episode proper, my plug Wait, was is that Strata? Stratum. Death Stratum. stratum. Okay. Yeah. Uh, because it is a layered monster, it has many layers each. Uh, so. Uh, I was going to say, like, it's like a death slot, only it's also kind of like an Italian casserole. Mm-hmm. So well, the the basic idea for the death stratum is it absorbs the environment where a person has died or suffered horribly. Mm. So uh, if a person's been tortured to death in a concrete basement, it becomes concrete. But then if it finds someone who's murdered in the woods, then it then uh, uh, it develops a layer of wood around uh, the uh, concrete. So you have to destroy each layer in order to get to the meaty core of the monster. Um, but uh, you can get a full write-up of the Death Stratum uh, if you sign up for my email newsletter, which I'm starting up. Uh, so you can uh, check that out. There'll be a link in the show notes, but it'll be a bi-weekly newsletter with original content and articles that I write, links to interesting things, and of course, mentions of all the podcasts and other projects I'm working on at the time. So uh, it's something I've been wanting to do for a long time, and I just haven't gotten around to doing it, but now I have. And you get a free monster when you sign up. So... Um, Caleb, you have, uh, something coming up, uh, uh, Delta Green wise, at least I believe. Yeah. I, I doing a lot of work over at Delta Green dead channels. And on the 28th, we're introducing, um, some, a bunch of streamers and YouTube personalities, uh, to Delta Green. 
with a Detweiler scenario. So that should be this fun. This is going to gonna watch. go great. Yeah, this that is... should be fun to watch live. Yeah. <laughs> See the hope uh, drain out of their eyes. <laughs> in, in live. Uh, so and that's on the 28th. That's going to be Wednesday, the 28th at yeah. 6 p.m. All right. Central. So mm-hmm. on a scale of unsurvivability, with like. One being, I don't know, what's the introductory one from from uh, the role playing game with the the thing? Oh, last the... things last, yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. so one's last things last. Ten is artifact zero. Yep. Where yeah, would you exactly put? It. Yeah. <laughs> where would you put ex oblivione? I'd put it like eight. The threats okay. are terrestrial, but kind of. But like, there's a lot of them. <laughs> Yeah. All right. Uh, all no right. Tindling, it's no tilling house radiation. I did consider just being welcome to Delta Green. Fuck here's, you. Here's like, the, the deep end of the pool. Uh, if you're one of the people streaming, uh, yeah, don't listen to this part. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't really help you anyway. So um, it will not. Okay. Yeah. So would you say more or less deadly than the last equation? The last equation is more soul crushing than body crushing. I'd yeah, say. it's definitely more deadly in terms of That's your agent going like go on to the another six, adventure. Six, yeah. 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 Well, and I, you know, that's what I like about it. You gotta, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes, sometimes you gotta have something that they will come out of, and mm-hmm. you know, it's they survive to tell the the next team, oh, this isn't that bad. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I could survive the last equation because, like, I'm too dumb regarding math yeah. to understand any of that shit. I'd just be like, "Man, these folks sure are crazy." <laughs> Crumple it up, trash can, like, go on to solve the like. That would be me. I would not. The boss said, "Remove all the." Yeah, I might not notice it's supernatural in the last equation. I'm that dumb, so like, I think yeah. I can get through that one. Math with Greek letters? No, Greek letters are for poems. <laughs> like the Iliad, which I studied as an English major. Yeah, I'm, I'm lighting the math on fire. They're like, yes, we need to uh, get rid of the unnatural documents. I just turn around, unnatural? Just burning <laughs> the math. Yeah. The boss man said, get rid of the squiggly marks, so I'm getting rid of the squiggly marks. <laughs> Um, so, uh, and Greg, uh, you've been releasing some new stuff on your Patreon, I believe. I have. I just updated it yesterday with a short story called Got There First, in which I follow my usual route of having, of building up to a horrible, horrible revelation from alien (laughs) intelligences. But in this case, it's funny. Still kind of horrifying, but funny. So yes, there's there's all kinds of stuff up there. You can uh, hop on for a mere five dollars a month and get each story as they come out, mm-hmm. or for ten bucks you get on the Discord with me, uh, you know, and, and get the direct line to me complaining <laughs> about the aches and pains of my aging body, and also you get all the other fiction that's already been released with. Ooh, nice! Just m- more than one. Now that I think about it, more than one story about witches and romantic problems. So those are extremely fun. Nice. Had, had just way too much fun with that. <laughs> cool. Uh, so. so yeah, I'll, I'll link to that in the show notes as well. Um, so, uh, but yeah, speaking of, uh, but not just witches, but monsters, uh, actually. Monsters. Uh, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of different ways to make monsters for a role-playing game. 
Um, and like the monster that I made, the Death Stratum, I would call, I'd sort of characterize it as kind of like the monster of the week. Like the idea is it is the focus of a scenario. Like the monster is essentially a puzzle or a problem to be solved by the player characters and is sort of the main thrust of the scenario. Uh, and you see this a lot. Like another example I was thinking of is, uh, I don't want to spoil it, Ex Oblivion, but like, uh, the spoilers for one of the original Delta Green scenarios, Convergence. Um, Convergence. It, yeah. Uh, there, there is actually a couple of monsters, but they're all related. Uh, these proto, f- uh, flesh, uh, creations, uh, of the Migu running amok and the player characters have to deal with them. And that's sort of the figuring out what these new things do and how to stop them while not trying not to die is sort of the focus of it. But, um, I've, uh, so, you know, I've kind of characterized, how to create monsters in, in, uh, uh, different ways. And, um, just before we get into that though, I kind of like each of you, well, um, Caleb, what do you think of, uh, uh, when creating monsters, how do you characterize them? Because I can, I can list like five different ways. I I think monsters are created for RPGs, but, um, I kind of think it would be interesting to see, uh, what you think of like, um, so aside from scenario, monster of the week kind of things. How do you think monsters are created? Like in terms of, um, approaches. Uh, I typically work backwards from Mm. like apps, you know, it sounds dumb and up its own ass cause it it is, but it's, uh, like I work (laughs) backwards from the metaphor of the monster most of the time. Okay. Um, so like, you know, when I, the, the marionettes in Bryson Springs, like those Mm -hmm. things I designed, that was about, and I've and I've done other stuff with Bast and God's Teeth. That's really about a, a fear about a lack of agency, mm. uh, you know, about an inability to to um, truly uh, own your own choices, mm-hmm. considering the number of variables upon which they are contingent, and um, the terror of seeing that for the first time, mm-hmm. um, and and the mon- and like the puppet on the strings and and yeah. those kinds of th- that. That's that's why it's there to sort of represent that backwards. Um, and so like, yeah, that's one way I will do it when I'm, when I'm feeling my, so feeling my oats, you know, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Uh, another way is I will just steal cause it's a fucking game and we're, we just need to play. <laughs> yeah. Um, so like, yeah, the marionette's partially inspired by Thomas Ligotti story. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, yeah, I, I did. I started Delta Green Dead Channels by just openly stealing a John Linegan monster from the Wide Carnivorous Sky. It's very cool, and it was yeah. fun to play in Delta Green. Um, I think that's fine too if you're not publishing it, which I'm not. Yeah. You know, you just want to play a game with your friends. That's 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 how this whole thing got started. Um, I think yeah, I think there's generally um, what would be considered higher artistic motivations. And then um, motivations considering the material reality of running a tabletop RPG. Uh, that that would be how I typically split them in my head when I'm designing I actually, a monster. Um, I actually had thematic as one of the, my categories too. But my example, I was actually very similar in kind of ways. Was thinking of like a lot of Ravenloft monsters are very thematic. Of course, they're also stealing too. Uh, because like the example, I think it was the carrionettes, which are monstrous puppets. And that's from the Ravenloft domain. That's controlled by a evil Pinocchio. Like that's, I mean, that's Ravenloft's whole shtick was like, let's take 
classic monsters and D and Dium and uh yeah, so uh yeah, so even, but in even, but in Edwardian yeah. Gothic dress, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh because that's that's Ravenloft shtick, uh in a nutshell is here's our not Dracula, here's our not, you know, well, we also have a lich, but which don't worry about it. It's a lich. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, Greg, what are some of the approaches you use with uh, uh, um, designing? Well, I, I would also, the, the most recent uh, monsters I've designed are uh, the Mighty Dreamers for Dying Breath, where I'm like, okay, so you've got on one end of a continuum, you've got Call of Cthulhu Horror, which is completely unknowable and alien and mm-hmm. extrinsic to you. And on the other end, you've got Unknown Armies Horror, which is extremely human, and we, you know, it's it's all one continuous self-own of human suffering, where it's like, oh, well, the reason the reason things are so bad for you is that some it's good for somebody for things to be bad for you. And so I'm like, is there some way I can smush these together or find a third way or a middle path? And so I was looking for, okay, well, so the answer would be human beings becoming inhuman, becoming these inscrutable uh, agglomerations of human traits that are no longer expressed in human lives, that it's just this maelstrom of bad leftover energy that remains after people perish. And that's mm. sort of, if you know what the the mystic uh, concept of an egregore is, uh, let me let me put this out there for uh, you know you're like three podcast listeners who won't know what an egregore is. The idea is that people together create thought forms that have an independent reality, and you know an example of a modern egregore is like Santa Claus. Everybody knows who Santa Claus is. Everybody can draw you a picture of Santa Claus, even though you don't have to go to Santa Claus school and learn about Santa Claus. It's just a thought form. Nobody, you know, no one individual came up with, but it has accrued. And so the idea that I came up with is, oh, when a bunch of people die in close proximity at the same time, Mm -hmm. they get wedged together and you get this emergent new entity. And it's not happy about being the smushed together residue of 10,000 people who died in horrible pain. So that was the most recent one I came up with. And it it was, yeah, taking this long English major review. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, the reason for that is that, boy, it is hard to scare people with a deep one now, right? Oh, yeah. It is... Horror fans in particular are jaded and they, you know, they're, they love novelty because they love Mm -hmm. the thing that can hop out and you're like, I'd never thought of that before. I never thought that I should be scared of, I don't know, my power cord. (laughs) You know, the guy who finds out a way to make power cords scary is going to be, it's going to be great. But so with experienced horror players, they're really jaded. They've got this tolerance up there. It's like trying to get someone drunk when he's used to putting down a pint of vodka a day. You know, you got to put the work in. Mm-hmm. So, Caleb, if, you're, uh, if your Twitch streamers are not horror fans, 
you may not need the dosages you're <laughs> used to administering to scabby old horror junkies like me and Ross. <laughs> you may be just like, why are these... Why are these guys getting so freaked out over the like intro? Yeah. <laughs> Look, I, I I I seek to write horror like I smoke weed, which is mids is for cowards. You know, <laughs> go <laughs> the dosage is what the dosage is. You you adjust you adjust knowingly. Um uh but yeah, no, I I get the English majors thing. One thing I do to try and counteract the jadedness. Uh, and I, I guess this is why I have this more satirical horror bent in Hebanon stuff mm-hmm. is uh, I don't really focus on making the monster original so much as putting the monster um, in an original system. So like zombies, I remember the zombie game in Red Markets. It's not about the terror of a zombie. It's about the terror of... Not having the zombie be a metaphor for capitalism, not have the zombie be it, it is it is a function it is a farmable resource uh it is now subservient and entirely behested by capitalism, and so is everything else in your life, and so is your flesh and your family members and like and the the zombie is just there to show you that it's not there to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, anything worse than your typical body horror. It's kind of what I'm trying to do with the traveler in um, body team, uh, which is another thing that's on uh, Delta green dead channels. Uh, The, 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 the monster is not innately scary, except that it is interested in politics and you live in a world that is completely unable to deal with that where politics, there's no handle on it. There's nothing mm-hmm. you can move to change it from one way or the other. Uh, the 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 meme is going to be what it's going to be. The the crab pit will keep snipping, mm-hmm. um, and it just it and that's what it's there to show you. Not you know it's got tentacles and scales and shit. It, it's meant to talk about. So I think the monster as metaphor, you can um, sort of salvage monsters that are otherwise uh, trite at this point in some horror movie. But the thing is, you have to make what that monster is depicting actually scary. It can't just be, um, you know, your, your typical Dawn of the dead, you know, it's in a mall. So it's about consumerism, you know, like, well, I mean, it's, it's about consumerism. Yeah. They're, they're eating the, the things in the mall, but like you, you really want to talk about like, well, well, what horrors of consumerism are you experiencing right now? that I can defamiliarize. So you realize that like, this is not something that you should feel anxiety about just at a table with your buds. <laughs> like it is a deeper thing. So I, that that's one move I've tried mm-hmm. to get past the like thing that Greg says, obviously he was like, yeah, you're not going to scare you to me with a fucking deep one in, in 2022. Um, I mean, yeah. unless, yeah, I, the thing I, the things I've done with deep ones in novels is you know oh i love i love the deep ones in mask of the other yeah is that no man they love us <laughs> they see us as these pitiful creatures that they can improve and elevate and it hurts them to be out of the water interacting with us but they do it because they want to inject their superior dna into us and make us them mm-hmm. and i'm like yeah, yeah that's 
that's relevant. The idea, you know, that there's someone out there who's like, I'm going to do what's best for you, whether you like it or not. Yeah, is... uh, ethical ethical imperialism. Yeah. yeah. Um, the, yeah. The, the Laundry File novels does actually not quite the same, but um, they have diplomatic relations with the Deep Ones, and they have, like, treaties, and there's many mentions in the novels where, like, if we violate the Benthic treaties, they're going to, like, it's not going to be a war. They're just going to annihilate us. Like, they, <laughs> they have weapons of mass destruction we can't even conceive of. So, like, we have to be, we have to follow the treaties. We can't do this. So, like... Um, so like the idea that there, there, there's just this incredibly powerful civilization at the bottom of the sea that could destroy us at a moment's thunderous, but they don't because they're civilized, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's about, I think about, it's about taking the familiar to a different context, which is really just, you know, the, the general psychological movement of horror in the first yeah. place. Yeah. Um, well, okay. There, yeah. The, a, a couple thoughts that, uh, mm -hmm. you know. Um, Alistair Stewart, the, the guy behind, uh, Pseudopod, the, the host, mm -hmm. I, he had a quote and I can't remember who it's from cause I'm quoting at a remove, but it was, you know, horror is the sensation of seeing something approach. Hmm. It was probably Laird Barron or someone who said that. And so, and this can be very hard to do in a gaming situation because it's like, well, you know, you can't just. You can't just end with seeing it approach, or you can't do that more than once. It's got to be an arrival. You have to deal with it. You're going to interact with this thing. Uh, another sort of, of big picture thought about horror that I've heard is, you know, well, all an apocalypse really is is when you perceive what was there all along, but you never saw it. Mm. And that's been really, that seemed really relevant this century, uh, honestly, <laughs> that yeah. it's just like, I just did not, you know, people told me things were this bad, but I didn't think they were this bad. So, yeah, like in uh, Eclipse Phase, um, like a lot of the mon monsters, into, you know, th threats that you face um, are sort of justified in the game's lore. Uh and for example, like the exurgents, which are created by the Titans, the this powerful AIs in the setting, um, they say, okay, well, they they had war, you know, before the Titans went rogue and released the exurgent virus, there were, there were automated war machines, you know, and so well, they infected, the, so like the monster you fight is an infected war machine, um, and or infected like nurse drones, you know, and so like you face these horrible like nurse robots that are like uh, I think that's in the scenario glory. Um, but yeah, there's, there's a whole lot of settings like, here's the thing. And now because of the exurgent virus, it's been turned into this horrible mutated, you know, biomechanical monstrosity that wants to murder and, and infect everybody. Um, and so it's, you know, the common thing becoming uncommon. Um, and, uh, so I think that's, if that's they'd really been it. thinking the letter Q would have been involved in the name of that somehow, but, <laughs> but yeah, exactly. Uh, but there's justifying the monster through the in-game lore. Well, because of the setting we have established, it would make sense for this monster to exist. Um, I guess a related approach would be like the ecosystem. Um, you know, a lot of, yeah, all D and D monster manuals all have the eco, you know, the ecology of the monster, and even these Mark, sixteen like, skeletons know. and four yeah. goblins and two wyverns had lived side by side in harmony for years until you damn adventurers showed up. 
Well, like even in Red with Markets, your gold Caleb. hunger, they, oh. they were just hanging out. It was a rainbow coalition of a community. <laughs> <laughs> but like um, your aberrance, like that's an e- I think an ecological thing. It's like, well, if, if there's you know the blight and just common casualties and zombies, like, well, it makes sense that they would mutate and become like weird, messed up forms, like the ganglia and and uh, marionettes and that that kind of thing. So, or not marionettes, but um. Uh, well, uh, dead ringers or, uh, any number of the other variants that have been popping up. So, yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I use the aberrants to sort of, um, I mean, I think I, I did, I didn't predict this by any means, but like, I think COVID makes the point I had about this evident to everyone. Like the way we normalize like death and terror and like massive casualties, like literal casualties in the modern day, like my aberrants are my resistance to that. Like, yes, you live an awful grinding existence, shooting things that look like people in the head and rifling through their pockets. Um, but you've been doing that for five years and that's how all the food in your belly got there and all your clothes got on your back. And it's another day at the office and aberrants are to say, no, like this is wrong. <laughs> this is always wrong and impossible and broke reality. And just because like in your limited human existence, you've had to normalize it. Cause like you got to pay the fucking bills. Um, it doesn't mean that it ever stopped being horrifying and wrong and other. Um, and mm-hmm. that, that's why I put those in there. Cause I, I, I always wanted to push back against the, um, going full one of the dead, you know, like we're starting a joke zombie killing business. Um, right. Yeah. yeah. What's one of the dead? Uh, one of the dead is a Cuban zombie movie where uh, Cuba gets infected with a zombie virus and a guy named Juan opens a business to kill zombies. Um, but like as a hustle, it's like a comedy. Yeah. Yeah. Like <laughs> you can't kill grandma. I don't know your grandma. I'll kill grandma. You know, like <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Which is a, like, which is a premise in uh, red markets. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, so I think like the other, the only really other approach I can think of is like, these are role playing games. They're not just narratives, they're games. And so designing monsters for the purpose of a game, like mechanic or system or like encounter. So like the big ex- examples all come from D and D, right? Like uh, there's a lot of uh, stories about how a lot of the OG D and D monsters were made. Uh, the two examples I can think of are like piercers and mimics. Piercers are made <laughs> so like you would have to like be afraid of like things falling on you. And mimics are like uh, let's make treasure chests scary. Because, like, the first time you get eaten by a mimic, well, like, oh, my God. Then the second time you see a treasure chest, you're like, ah, fuck. I'm going to hit this with my stick before yeah. I open it. Yeah, exactly. So there's there's always one, this talent. One way or another, whatever is coming out, whatever's inside there is coming out. I hope it's gold, <laughs> but I'm ready for it to be guts. Weird guts. <laughs> um, I mean, and, and the fact, one of the things I really like is uh, there have been a couple of uh, artists on the internet who have made like what modern mimics would look like. So like mimic cell phones and trash cans and like, uh, all these other devices and technological things. It's just like, what if it was actually a mimic and you know, your car tries to eat you, um, or your cell phone, you know, takes a bite out of you. Um, so there's, uh, you know, the, but like that's designing it, not because it makes sense in the game, not because of a theme, but because you want a cool encounter. Um, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that per se. It just depends on the type of game you're doing. Right. Um, yeah. 
Um, I mean, I'm thinking about rain now, right? With oh, the, yeah. the some time in the future, I'm gonna hold the print volumes of that in my hand, <laughs> and it's gonna be great. And one of it, the the core of rain is you know leadership, and you have to you're not just a band of rogue chaos agents rhyming and stealing across the landscape. You have responsibilities, but you also have the advantage of being in charge of some kind of organization or enterprise. You know, it's a cult. It's a thieves guild. It could be an actual country. Uh, and so I'm like, well, what's what are the monsters that you need a literal army to fight? Mm. And so some of the inner or, you know, not even fight, but deal with. And so one of the, you know, some of the, the things that have worked into rain are basically megafauna. You know, there are, there are monsters the size of hillsides that you know, they don't pay attention to people because people are too small. They just jump into an area leaving a crater a mile across. So if you, so if you're around when that happens, you're just fucked. <laughs> But then they're just sitting there sucking uh, nutrients out of the soil. And if you can get inside them and become an invade, you, you become the invasive organism. You are the, the bacterium that is going to kill this giant thing. Mm. And uh, so, yeah, I'm like, and, cool. and I, and yeah, and you will have other competing groups trying to kill the thing first. Or trying to get to the good bits, because it's like, oh yeah, well if you go all the way down here, you'll find this little sack attached to what we think are the kidneys, and that's where all the indigestible minerals go. And it can digest <laughs> most minerals, but not diamonds, gold, or silver. <laughs> so empty the treasure, yeah. Yeah, see see you at the kidney sack, baby. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Um, there actually is an RPG called uh, Belly of the Beast where you live inside a continent-sized monster that eats cities. Uh, and basically, like, the, the terrain is, like, how, like, the things that are eaten recently are more intact as it then proceeds through the monster gets more and more uh, messed The 13th up. Age has a dungeon. that uh, the, Eyes the, of the Stone Thief. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's right. It yeah. moves through the ground like an invasive root system, Yeah. I could see, like, I do want to do, like, a modern-day kaiju-type game where, like, the, the encounters are just surviving the kaiju as it stomps around. And, like, uh, you could even have, like, Cloverfield kind of parasites dropping off of it at some point or something like that. Uh, yeah, the Cloverfield parasites are going to be, uh, you know, your fellow humans. It's going to be, you know. Yeah, mm -hmm. if you get stepped on by chadzilla or whatever you call this thing it's it's <laughs> well now it's chadzilla <laughs> you're gone but you know once it's gone by there are going to be all these entitled chuds who are shoving you out of the way to get to get on the the last subway train out of brooklyn mm -hmm. yeah that's true um so yeah there's a lot of different ways to make monsters um and uh, chads and chuds coming in 2023 <laughs> <laughs> from Ross Payton. Ooh, yeah, there we go. That's that's the next big Kickstarter. It's got that alliteration that's good for RPGs. <laughs> uh, I, I don't see a problem with that. Um, so uh, I kind of want to know, like, if there's any things you, you, when you're designing monsters that you know to avoid. Um, I know, like, from published games, there's, there's, uh, uh, 
or if you've read published RPGs, you're like, oh god, this is a bad monster. This war is terrible. Because um, I know for me, my go-to example for bad monster design uh, is, of course, Rifts, the role-playing game, because they have so many of them, and like it's how they write them more than anything else. They might have a good idea, but if you're not familiar, the Rifts' approach to writing a monster is to write to like to give it incredibly detailed, unnecessary stats. Uh, give it a very long write-up that has nothing to do with how it works. Uh, give it way too too much or too little health for what it can do. Um, like there was this monster that like I was looking at on a live stream, and it's like, oh, it, it can climb through the trees at fifty miles an hour. What? It has a climb speed of fifty miles an hour through trees? Like what the fuck? Why was it just her? bouncing through trees at highway speeds uh and it's like a, it's like a 20 foot tall like you know like monster that can fight a tank like it, it is it made no sense it weighed several tods uh but like <laughs> yeah uh, it it could go through a it could it could travel across a tree at 50 miles an hour once yeah <laughs> it's usually accompanied by a squad of lumberjacks gleefully cackling behind it yeah, exactly. But like, I mean, part of it is just the system wide thing, like how Rifts just writes any stat up because it has a very long write up, which is incredibly padded. And then like the stats block is incredibly long for what it needs to do. And so like uh, any, any, it takes, I mean, they give it like an entire character skill, like write up, it gives it all kinds of skills. Like, oh, do we really need to know the, the, the monster can operate radios and, uh, <laughs> You know, and knows first aid and like uh, all these other languages. Like, I'm just picturing uh, the 20 foot tall tree monster after it's demolished you in a sh- in a, a shower of splinters. Now bandages you up. It's like you owe me your life. I've got to I've got to collect on this debt. Take this worry, radio. I, 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 yeah, yeah. Take the radio. <laughs> I've got to, someday this radio is gonna call. And that's gonna be me. Yeah, I'm gonna need some help. Um, so yeah, but like, have you have either of you seen like uh, uh or like what what are your kind of like not to do when designing monsters? Um, um, well, there's one thing if you're designing something specifically for a game, and suppose mm-hmm. suppose you're running a superhero game and you got someone who's the Human Torch. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can once in a while throw in the fireproof monster. That that uh, okay, fights yeah. him to you know to force him to be clever or rely on teamwork, but it's one of those things where he did not choose the Human Torch, hoping that he would run into a series of things that cannot be solved mm-hmm. by Vitamin F. This guy uh, has kryptonite too. Yeah, yeah, uh, this guy has kryptonite too. I actually remember seeing a lot of that. Actually, now that I think about it, in old World of Darkness books, like especially for boss monsters, uh, like it's like this elder vampire is immune to this, and he can do this, and he can do this. So you can't do shit against him. Yeah, he's a thousand years old, and he just woke up. But don't worry, he's got something that'll defend him against automatic guns. Like, <laughs> which is like okay, that <laughs> makes a lot of sense. Thanks. Our one advantage over the ancient vampire we're trying to kill, and he's got a spell against that. Awesome. I actually stuck that in a piece of World of Darkness fiction that never got wound up getting published. But, you know, the the ancient, horrible, older vampire has woken up and is is trying to figure things out. And the one advantage our protagonist has is, you know, this guy hasn't seen any technological advances since 1492. And his cell phone goes off and the elder's like, 
what's that? And he's like, it's a music box. If you open it up, it plays Fur Elise. <laughs> Amazing. And the, el- yeah. and the elder's like, you're too eager. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, but yeah, that that is uh, 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 I mean, sometimes you you write that up just because like I I have this monster you're not supposed to kill, but like like most mm. of the time you are supposed to be able to kill the monster, right? Like that's the whole point I, of a monster. I mean, I think system matters here. Mm. Like it, that's why it's very hard for me to be afraid of a D&D monster, even though like D&D tries to do horror a lot of times mm-hmm, and to varying success, but like the monster is monstrous because it doesn't exist in the same world as the characters. It's other. Your characters exist as a series of numbers on a piece of paper. So, like, while you do need to stat it out in your game terms, the more stats you add, the more deeply tied it is to being just like the player characters. And that's why when you get, like, Cthulhu eats 1d20 investigators per round, and you get these, like, ridiculous sort of mechanical translations into this thing that um i mean that not to not to be a delta green homer just because they pay the bills i was like but that's what i like about it if monster is as puzzle in delta green the things that aren't the answer to the puzzle just don't fucking work bullets (laughs) explosions nope like yeah it's just like you figure it out you feel better having made your loud noise little man (laughs) yeah uh like i i still i still i mean i understand it's a call like if i could disagree with the current system Mm-hmm. Um, it would be like, we've still got all these spells and rituals that we want, like other, like listed out as like, well, here's the way you do this. And here's the, and there's like, they've got willpower points to spend. And that's mm-hmm. your main stat block for whatever your sorcerer or monster is. And I'm like, and like, I, just, I don't know. It just always rubs me the wrong way. and be like, what's well, fucking magic? Like, <laughs> like I get that there's requirements. You could make it per scenario, but like you've got to roll a one d four, and blah, blah, blah. It, it just ties it. So I, I guess that's it for me. Like I always mm-hmm. try to avoid tying whatever the thread is too much to the mechanics of the game. Not it's not just GM fiat. It kills you because I say it does. I want there to be chances to affect it. I want there to be player agency. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that, that can be used to, you know, manipulate fear reactions and stuff, but there's a sweet stop. There's a sweet spot for that. And then like, here's page 18 of this riffs monster that does 2000 mega damage to glitter boys, uh, on days that end in Y and like, <laughs> yeah, like that just, there's, you can never make that scary for me. Um, well, yeah. I don't think rifts wanted to be scary. No. Riffs wanted to be awesome. I, yeah. I know, but like I do see it I see it happen like some cool call it Cthulhu projects that overly stat the monster and and then get confused when the players are just like, well, if it's got that many armor points, what if I just got an even bigger gun? And then that ends up blowing up the climax of the scenario quite I mean, literally. Um yeah. uh yeah, yeah I, I just think uh in general you can't uh you can't get too simulationist for a thing that is supposed to trigger in the characters as being outside accepted reality mm-hmm. or right. well, morals. See, you're, <laughs> you're viewing monsters from the horror description. And, mm-hmm. you know, if you want to view monsters from the adventure description, then now 
Absolutely. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, it's a puzzle you can solve. Oh, mm-hmm. it's a challenge you can overcome. Oh, if you figure out its deal and you can communicate with it, maybe it'll just, you can sell it your shoes and it'll give you free passage and you won't have to start the spanking machine. So. <laughs> um, yeah, I guess, yeah, I mean, genre matters, not just system, because, oh. yeah, so, like, is yeah. it, is it? I would it, say genre it? probably matters more and that yeah. system determines genre in mm-hmm. a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. You may think your game is a horror game, but if it's got, you know, if it's got rules that are going to let your players overcome everything, guess what, pal? It's actually a pulp game. Yeah. I mean, sometimes monsters aren't, aren't even necessarily like, um, thing puzzles you solve or, or, or enemies you defeat. They're, they're world building, you know, like there's, um, in the current campaign, I'm running coin track Island, which is like, you know, Jurassic park and resident evil and Bioshock. There's like all these monsters that are just like side things that are just like, um, Oh, here's they, the, here's what the boys in the lab cooked up this week. And it's like, Oh, that's weird and messed up. It also kind of horrible. And like, we're going to have to deal with this thing. We're going to just bypass it. Like, Oh, they took slugs and grafted a, and, and made them giant and grafted it to computers and a vending. And so now it's a moving slug, like vending machine that like Hawks, uh, uh, energy drinks at you and, and sort of, yeah. Please buy a red bull. <laughs> If you buy a Red Bull, my pleasure circuit will be engaged. Yeah, exactly. And so it's like, like they, you know, there's an encounter where you have to Why get around. Why did they make it vending- talk? I've never wanted a Red Bull less. <laughs> yeah, but you'll buy the Red Bull because you feel bad for it. So yeah, so that's just please. <laughs> I have not had pleasure in several days. <laughs> Uh, fictional um, libertarians are so much better than real libertarians fictional <laughs> libertarians you free them from like a municipal tax burden and they become dr moreau inside a fucking hour just instantaneous <laughs> like mad science crazy but like real libertarians do that they just like either end up the town gets eaten by bears or <laughs> like it just becomes a sex trafficking ring. Like it's one of two things. Like so boring as compared to like I'm gonna build dinosaurs. Yeah. I'll build an undersea drug addict emporium. Like the way better, way cooler yeah. in fiction. Yeah. In terms of uh, uh, designing monsters, um, aside, you know, we talk about like the, our approaches and you know what not to do. Um, like in terms of just the the sort of nuts and bolts of it, like. Um, when you're designing a monster, I guess there would be a difference in like, is this the focus of the scenario? Is this the focus of the game session? Or is this like sort of an incidental side thing? Um, what other kind of factors, what do you, what else do you, is a consideration, a consideration for you when you, uh, design a monster. I know like a lot of times I try and vary like one. Okay. So one personal preference I have are intelligent monsters versus animalistic, because mm. I read this interview once with Clive Barker, where he said one of the reasons why he made Hellraiser is because he wanted a monster that could talk and explain why it did what it did. So it could have a conversation with the protagonist. I thought, Oh yeah, that's really good. So like, 
and like you know, in Coin Track Island, most of the things are animalistic, but like some of them can talk or communicate in a meaningful way. Uh, and I like if that. If you yeah. don't like Red yeah. Bull, how about a refreshing Sprite? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, Sorry, I should stop doing that, but I just well, can't. and also for the record, it's just a little like a uh, computer speaker that uh, plays uh, tunes that represent its emotions. So it's a happy little. Little chip tune song or a sad little chip tune song, depending <laughs> on whether or not you buy it. And it has a little like LED screen with a little happy face or a sad face. It shows uh, emojis at you. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Uh, but yeah. So uh, that's a personal preference is to have intelligent monsters so they can talk back. Um, like what? What? Are, I guess some of the other things you do when you're designing monsters. In terms of like preferences or just practical considerations, well, uh, yeah. How inscrutable do you want it to be? Oh uh, yeah. How? What sort of sensory language are you going to use describing it? Because hmm. uh, you know you can you can get a pr- you can get pretty far with if you have a, an if they can tell from your tone of voice that you are emotionally invested. This goes a surprisingly long way. <laughs> you know, here, it, which I'm sure makes sense to you podcasters. Um, mm-hmm. <clears throat> oh, what? But that, that what? <laughs> uh, and and if you have a good quiver full of adjectives and you describe how this thing, you know, smells and the sounds it makes going across the floor and you know, how certain foods are now n- going to become permanently unappealing to this character just from the way this thing looks. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. I know with Caleb... That's, that's uh, something you don't get with goblins in D&D. No, that's true. That's true. Um, I know with Caleb, uh, you know, you mentioned body team earlier, like the, pre- the, 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 the this is not the first time that entity has been shown. And the, the scenario where that was, uh, you, you, I still got to listen to that. Yeah. Uh, uh, Delta green somewhere lane, like that, the, the, uh, uh, present, the initial presentation of the monster, like the way you described it and what it did is like, Oh God. Oh God. So like you just, it was so well done. Like when you just had a little hook, uh, in body gems, I instantly knew what it was. It was so recognizable. I was like, ah, ah, beans, ah, shit, we're fucked. Yeah. It's the tr- it's the tourist. The tourists yeah. have found us. Yeah. Um, uh, I think the animalistic intelligent thing is like one of the reasons to have the lame uh, English majory conversation about what does this monster represent in your head? Uh, because uh, I mean. When that's screwed up, man, is it screwed up. And, like, if you want proof, good adaptations of Frankenstein, these bad adaptations of Frankenstein. Like, good uh, Frankenstein, Frankenstein needs to talk. He needs to be able to say, you're God, and I hate you for creating me. <laughs> like, and you're going to suffer for it. So that's you like don't like the Karloff Frankenstein where he's just, yeah, yeah, like, what... <laughs> No, I don't, because, like, you're just describing a dude with bolts in his neck now. Like, that's not scary. (laughs) Like, he's hunting me over Antarctica by just walking behind me wearing a plague cloak. That's fucking scary. (laughs) Like, it's it's not just a... Like, and, like, I feel like it's... I feel like that's a case of misunderstanding. Like, what does this thing represent? Like, because this one needs to talk. Like, this one needs to be able to have a conversation, because... 
he's a philosophy monster that can still look very scary because he's made of corpse parts. But if you're just f- focusing on the corpse parts, you know, it's the cyberpunk meme. Like, ooh, cool, cool future. Like, way over the head. You've, you've really missed the point if it's all about, like, stitches and electricity and Tesla coils. Um, yeah. Did I, you read, uh, it was Terry Pratchett's Witches Abroad. One of the most affecting scenes he ever wrote is, you know, that, and this is, again, you know, getting back to sort of an earlier theme we touched on of, oh, mm-hmm. I know what's good for you. And I don't need your consent to impose what is good for you on you because it's good. And it's this woman who has the power of a fairy godmother and is trying to turn everything into a fairy tale. And they meet one of her early draft big bad wolves. And at first you're like, oh, this is a scary monster that is going to mess up our heroines and then it's just begging to be killed it's just please i need an ending any ending (laughs) and it's like oh now i see who the real monster is it's the pretty lady with the wand saying i'm gonna make this princess's wish come true Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah um yeah you can kind of see that like the the frankenstein uh Misunderstanding Frankenstein, you can kind of see that actually happening with um, uh, Creepypasta now. Like, I guess the big ex- example of that uh, would be The Backrooms. Now, if you're not familiar, The Backrooms is a, a Creepypasta meme about, like, you're, you're, you're just trapped in this place, an endless, infinite maze of, uh, it looks like a hotel basement, you know, fluorescent lights that buzz very loudly, and you're just lost. And, like, that's the original premise, and that's just terrifying. You're just lost in this infinite maze. Um, but like what happened is of course people started writing fan wikis for it and started adding monsters to it. And which is like totally misunderstanding the original horror of the back rooms, which is like isolation and alienation. And, uh, <laughs> this maze scare- does not need a minotaur. Yeah. House does- of Leaves did not need. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Cause it's the exact <sighs> same thing. Um, house of Lee. Yeah. It, it, the exact same vibe and it did not need that. So, um, but yeah, like uh, it's very common. So yeah, think about yeah the themes. That's a, a, a very good point. Um, so uh, yeah, before you move on uh, to shadows, any other uh, final thoughts on uh, creating monsters, designing monsters for RPGs? Yeah. Um. Well, let me back out to okay. the nature of creativity in general, right? And there seem to be two paths to creativity. And most people are somewhere, these are like ends of a continuum. And on one end, for poetry, on one end, you've got Poe, who did everything Mm -hmm. very consciously and deliberately. And on the other end, you've got Coleridge, who woke up one day with Kublai Khan in his head. (laughs) But he was able to do that because he was obsessed with poetry, constantly reading it, constantly analyzing it, constantly thinking about it. So he was immersed in it enough that his subconscious could just blorp it out. Similarly, Mozart, who was introduced to classical music probably in the womb. Uh, <laughs> you know, his dad was, I think, a Meister singer. So he was probably actually hearing professional music musicians all the time, even before he was born. And his dad is like, oh, this is my chance to live out my failed dreams of glory. I'm going to make him write a symphony by the time he's six. So, yeah, by the time he's 20, he can just 
sit down at a piano forte and blorp, out comes a, a tune. So mm-hmm. if you are a person who is really, really into horror and has been immersed in it since you were a little kid and, you know, maybe have some anxiety issues, you may be able to just do it on vibes. You may be able to just, oh, I know what scares me, and I can convey that. I can make my own neuroses contagious. Uh, But you also maybe, or maybe that's not your mode, and you're more like Beethoven, where it's like, well, I'm going to have this idea, and then I'm going to think about it, and then I'm going to think about it, and then I'm going to revise it, and then I'm going to turn it over, and then I'm Mm going to... You know, I'm going to iterate it like a rock in a rock tumbler till it's smooth. And both approaches work. You know, people people who have had one work for them often tend to think the other one is just some crazy myth. But they both work. And the same writer may slide along the continuum or the same creator. Mm -hmm. So find what works for you. If it is consciously planning it out, and making an elaborate backstory, yeah, then do that. But there are going to be people for whom carefully planning it out and creating an elaborate backstory is going to be stifling, confining, and they won't have any uh, energy when it's time to actually describe it. So, yeah, I wish I could say there's one true path, but the one true path is to recognize there are many paths. <laughs> it's true. Um, yeah, a, a, uh, uh, like the, the back rooms, there are many paths, uh, and, and that's the, the joy and the horror of, uh, designing monsters. Um, so, uh, when we come back, we'll have some shout outs. And uh, we're back with some shout-outs. Uh, and I will begin with a, a video game. I did get a review key of this. Uh, but uh, So in the interest of disclosure, but I really like this game. It is called Fashion Police. Uh, it is a retro FPS uh, available on Steam and I believe all consoles. Um, and uh, in this game, you literally play the Fashion Police. So it is. it does a lot of really cool things with the FPS formula. Because your enemies, you you actually fix their fashion crime. So, like, the first enemy you fight is a, uh, or a businessman with uh, bland gray suits and ties. And so your first gun is a paint gun that, that operates like a shotgun. And so when you shoot them with enough paint, uh, uh, you, you change the color of their tie. And they thank you. And you, you solve their fashion crime. And so... Uh, there's other enemies with uh, suits that are too big, and so you have to fire your tailor-made uh, weapon at them to tailor their suits correctly. Uh, there are people with loud suits. You have to dilute their colors with water, your water gun. Um, and so it's there's a lot of puns. There's actually a lot of references to other games in it. Uh, it there's really cool movement because you have like a, a grappling hook uh, thing you can use. Uh, to to jump through certain areas, uh, it's just a, a really fun, well designed FPS. Yeah, dude, it, is yeah. is there a point at which you get to yell "freeze, motherfucker, drop the trilby"? <laughs> well, there's no profanity, but you oh. do. Uh, uh, there are there are there's something like that in there. Uh, also, <laughs> the um, you have like f- up to like five weapons, but like 
if you 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 can't use the same weapon on every enemies. So like you can't use the tailor made on the on the gray business suit because that's not their fashion crime. You can only use certain weapons on certain enemies. So like when uh-huh. multiple enemies are attacking you, it's actually pretty tricky to like focus fire one enemy down with this weapon and then focus on the other enemy. So uh it actually gets pretty tricky towards the end in how you fight the uh, uh waves of enemy coming at you. Um so it's a, it's a really fun game. Um I imagine the badges are so tasteful. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so, yeah, yeah it, it, so it's a very fun game. Uh, check it out. Uh, Caleb, you've been playing a game, too. Uh, yeah, a lot of people have been playing it. Uh, it's not very underground at this point, which is good because it's fun. Uh, Cult of the Lamb is a fun little roguelike that I've enjoyed quite a bit. You play uh, two-dimensional animated little furry woodland creatures that are in the uh, thrall of four angry gods. Uh, They all start off by sacrificing you, uh, but you are reclaimed by their fifth brother who has been exiled, the one who waits, and you become its avatar in the forest um, and basically become immortal uh, and uh, get a sword and superpowers. So the premise of the game is to go around uh, defighting the creatures in the thrall of these other four, uh, you know, deadly creatures for the one who waits and then converting any you rescue over to your cult um, because the way you level up in between runs in this roguelike is uh, you attain worship points um, and you also and the worship points unlock a base building element. So it's like animal crossing. If you could commit human sacrifice <laughs> to get a bunch of, uh, like bells, <laughs> like, uh, if Tom Nook starts talking shit, you feed him to a tentacle monster. And then everyone takes mushrooms and trips balls while watching and comes to worship you all the harder. Like it's, it's very, very cutesy and also like dark. And, uh, I had a lot okay. of fun playing it. So, yeah. Uh, and the dungeon like uh, elements are like uh, binding of Isaac kind of like vibe, right? Or yes, like the a- combat is extremely simple, um, yeah. like almost too simple, but more forgiving than Hades, for example. But uh, but worth it because I I am willing to go out and kill any number of creatures in that haunted forest if it gets <laughs> me like I don't know uh, a better outhouse skin for pit. my base you building at the yeah, yeah. clubhouse yeah. of culting mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. Uh, it's very much about the base building for me but yeah uh, but uh, speaking of cute things uh, uh, Greg there's a uh, uh, cartoonist you were talking about earlier well her she's probably best known Abby Howard is probably best known for the last Halloween which I think was on uh was a, a web comic and maybe still is and that mm-hmm. one I said was like 70% cute and jokes and fun and drawn in a pretty you know uh, not quite peanuts level cute abstraction but on that end of the spectrum uh, and then 30% are genu- is genuinely upsetting. But she has a book out through Iron Circus Comics called The Crossroads at Midnight, which is uh, a series of unconnected short pieces in a, a more serious vein. And I don't want to say the American Junji Ito, because that's not exactly correct. But in the mm. same way, but the, the similarities, Ito will do you know, 
body horror with it's like explanations. We don't need no, no explanations aren't fun. Um, Getting in the hole is fun. (laughs) Yes, and that seemed to have and there is you feel a. A specific, you know, because it's so manga-like in uh, mm-hmm. Ito, and this is much more in the American tradition of comics, mm-hmm. and you feel a little more of the the American vibe to it. But they are much more disturbing than uh, um, um, the last Halloween, and so mm-hmm. the Crossroads at midnight. I think my favorite one is about a woman who's, I think, a grad student. And she's really poor. And so Mm -hmm. she finds a mattress on the sidewalk. And everyone's like, girl, you can't sleep on a sidewalk mattress. (laughs) And she's like, no, no, this will be much better than the 15-year-old futon pad I'm using now. And it's not better. (laughs) It's it's deeply disturbingly drawn. So... Uh. If you like being disturbed, Crossroads at Midnight, Abby Howard. Yay. Um, and speaking of disturbing, um, I did just finish a Cody Goodfellow novel, uh, Ravenous Dusk, which is a sequel to Radiant Dawn, which I had read uh, like back in 2020. Um, and I finally got around to reading uh, Ravenous Dusk. So this is a sequel. Uh, this is a very Cthulhu Mythos novel. It is incredibly Delta Green. Uh, not, not like... There are changes, but it, it gets into it is a very deep mythos novel, but like it's also has an aspect of being a military thriller um, and, you know, sort of globetrotting. And boy, does the body horror ramp up to 11 in this like um, like I don't want to spoil exactly what entity, but Cody Goodfell is like, let's take this well-known, you know, Lovecraftian entity and just X, you know, like extrapolate what it would do in these circumstances. And like, oh man, it's, it's really gross. (laughs) It's really, really gross and horrifying. Okay. Uh, Yeah. Uh, So it is, uh, Ravenous Talk is, is a, is a, uh, quite longer than the original, the original novels, like 300 pages, Ravenous Dusk is like 600 pages, but so it's a bit of a read, but like, uh, if you like Cthulhu mythos and like, uh, Delta green style horror, uh, where government agencies are spying, there's military, like, uh, uh, you know, uh, dudes with automatic shotguns attacking mythos entities and it not going well for the dudes, uh, with shotguns, weirdly enough. Um, (laughs) then uh this is this is your novel uh so it's it's a lot of fun um so All right. uh yeah uh Caleb uh there is uh you had one other shout out i think uh yeah i've finally started finishing the um three body problem trilogy mm. uh, uh, so i'm finally on death's end i haven't quite finished it yet but um I like the translation. I don't know if I got a different edition, but I I, I, I like this one quite a bit more than the first two in terms of like oh, okay. raw prose styling. Hmm. Might also because I like the characters a bit more thus far hmm. than uh, especially the um, I don't know messianic asshole from the second one. <laughs> I guess would be the uh, way to describe the protagonist of that book, which is a unique take, but difficult to read at times. Um, <laughs> But yeah, I like it quite a bit. Um, I think it would even uh, fall into Asimovian horror at points. Uh, and Ooh. so uh, I, I, I quite like it. 
uh, nice. thus far. I haven't finished it yet, but I, I would recommend that trilogy overall. Okay, um, I read the first one, but okay. yeah the 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 second one is extremely interesting as a thought experiment, and uh, gets very interesting at point, but is a little oddly paced. Hmm. Um, but this one has. It, I thought the first one was a little oddly paced, but this one seems to be uh, paced very well thus far. So oh, right. cool. Cool, cool, cool. All uh, right. I should check out. I'm waiting for the delivery of my mattress, but if I can log off, thank you for having me. This was a treat. Um, yeah, my only final shout out is the uh, Vaporwave Zine Visual Signals issue seven. I have an article in it uh, where I write about my ode to YouTube uh, Vaporwave visual mixes. Um, and, uh, but yeah, if you, it's, it's a well put together zine with interesting articles of things of interest to vaporwave fans. Uh, we talk about a lot of my other uh, podcasts, night click radio. Uh, but yeah, it's just a cool, you can read them online for free or you can order them print copies, uh, through their website and I'll have a link in the show notes. But, um, again, uh, don't forget, uh, September 28th, uh, what time, uh, Wednesday, September 6 p.m. 6 p.m. Central. Central. Okay. Uh, Kale will be running Ex Oblimier for a... Uh, how many How many players do you have? Uh, three so far. We'll three see so what. far. Okay. Uh, so we'll see how well they do. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, don't forget the, the email newsletter uh, where you can read up on my new monster, which will be featured in a one-shot on RPP or actual play, The Death Stratum. But also a newsletter where I'll be talking about uh, all kinds of cool stuff and uh, posting links and uh yeah so uh thanks for listening we'll talk to you next time 